We are on Ksubis Nundalid Omanala 54a, towards the middle of the page, by the two dots, where it says, We are now returning back to uh, discussing different parts of the Mishnah, uh, and the Mishnah was discussing uh, how long does, uh, does the wife, is the wife uh, supported? Uh, by uh, the estate of her late husband, um, until what point in time? And we've discussed this also in the last class, but essentially uh, she is supported with uh, with clothing, with food. Food includes not just food, but also clothing, up until the point in time where she asks, uh, or asks slash receives her ksuba, the actual ksuba amount. Once she asks for her ksuba and receives her ksuba, so then she is no longer supported. She basically has money uh, to support herself. Uh, but she could, but she, uh, but she's supported with uh, food and with clothing up until that point in time. Now the, the Mishnah had different customs in different places as to whether or not who, who has that decision. Who makes this decision? Who decides to say, you know what? Now she has the Ksuba. Is this her decision? Could she say, no, I want to be, I'm not asking for the Ksuba. I want to be supported with uh, sustenance and with uh, clothing uh, on, uh, for, for however long I want it for. Or, or is it possible that the uh, children, uh, the boys, uh, the sons from, uh, from this father, they have the right to say, you know what, we're not supporting you with sustenance, but we're going to give you the ksuba at this point in time. Who, who makes this decision? Uh, so in the mission itself, there was different customs in different places. In Yerushalayim, and it, the people of Galil, so for them they followed the position that it was her choice, and for the people of Yehuda, the land of Yehuda, so that was the decision that was done by the uh, by the children. The children had the right to decide when she receives her ksuba. Uh, they could decide that. So which which position do we do we follow? So Idmar. It's stated, this is a dispute which position we follow. Rav Rav says that we follow the people of Yehuda, i.e. Uh, we follow that it's up to the children. Shmuel said that no, we follow um, Galil, the people of Galil, which is that it's her decision. If she wants to receive Iksuba and no longer, uh, and, and she wouldn't be supported anymore, that is her decision, not the children's decision. So the Gemara explains, So this ended up being a dispute between Rav and Shmuel, but not just the dispute between Rav and Shmuel, but also uh, the different areas, the communities where they were leading. So Rav led in Bavel, in Babylonia, and anywhere there and also the surrounding cities, so then they followed the position of Rav. Shmuel was in charge of Nahardai, the city of Nardai. So anybody, anywhere in Nardai or the surrounding areas followed Shmuel to say that it's really her decision. So we have the following interesting story. There was somebody who was uh, a a woman from the land of Rav, of Mechuza, who married a man from where Shmuel led in Nardai. So now this is interesting. Also the commander of Nachman, they went in front of Rav Nachman after um, her husband passed away. Shamal Rav Nachman said he, he recognized in her accent that she's somebody who comes from the land where Rav was leading, from Mechuzah. So Amaluhu, Bava Vachobar Parvada Nahagarav. 
So if you she asked, she basically asked Rav Nachman, "Am I who makes the decision? Do I make the decision when I receive the ksuba, or do the children make the decision when I re- when I receive the ksuba?" Uh, so he responded back that it sounds like you come from uh, the place of Rav. So then we should follow what Rav says, which is that the children children make that decision. So they said back to him. But it's true that uh, she's from Rav's town, but she married somebody from Nardai's town. So, so if that's the case, then follow Shmuel, and really it's your, it could be your decision. Um, the Gemara just finishes off. Uh, how far is Nardai? Until what point in time? Interesting idea. Until what point in time, what place is the end of Nardai? Until every area uh, has their own way of measuring things, their own way of uh, calculating things, distance. Uh, so as long as it keeps, it keeps the, the same measuring units as Nahardai, so then that's viewed as an extension of Nahardai. Beyond that, it's no longer Nahardai. So like a parallel to that potentially would be uh, the United States and Canada. Do we, uh, when driving, is it in miles, is it in kilometers? Uh, different measuring units, uh, so that's a way of figuring out which land is belongs to which uh, which country, or which jurisdiction? At the end of the day, this gemara happens to be a very important gemara because it shows us that if she comes from one place and he comes from another place, so then we follow his customs. It follows the husband's customs. She's entering into his home halachically, um, and so therefore we follow his customs. And it seems as though we follow his customs even after he passes away. He, he in this case he passed away, and the question was, um, who do we follow? in terms of who makes the decision of when she should receive the ksuba, that's after he passed away. And we say, we say that it goes based on the minag, the custom that took place in his, in the husband's town. So this is an important gemara, which is in fact quoted by Moshe Feinstein in his, uh, uh, when he discusses these issues, about the fact that the wife should take on the minhagim, the customs of her husband. Okay, next gemara is also a fascinating gemara. Very important Gemara. Itmar, Amana, Rav Amar Shaman Mashallah, Vishmuel Amar Ain Shaman Mashallah. Essentially, uh, we're talking about now where she has to get paid her ksuba. She's getting paid her ksuba amount. Uh, so let's say it's 200 zuz. That's the amount for the ksuba. Is there anything you could deduct? Are there any other, any presents, anything that you've given that she's already received um, that uh, should already be included and be deducted from the amount that has to be given to her? So this is interesting. The Gemara now is discussing clothing. They discuss clothing. The clothing that her husband bought for her while they were married. Uh, so how do we view that? How do we view that clothing? Do we view it as though this was a complete uh, matana, a gift to his wife, and that this is a gift that will last uh, forever? Or do we view this as though, no, he's giving it to her because they're married. And uh, it's really not a complete gift, but if... Uh, if this marriage ends, so then no, so then uh, so then uh, he, she would have to give it back, and if she would have to give it back, so then we'll see. There's a position in the Gemara that says, well, if she has to give it back, so then we let her keep it, but we deduct it from the ksuba, so she gets to keep her clothing. Uh, we don't take away her clothing; she could keep her clothing, but that wasn't really a gift uh, for all of eternity. That was only a gift for as long as they're as long as they're married. Um, so this is like a, a, a big question uh, in general. 
Um, might not we can't might, might not be able to prove it from our Gemara, but let's say there's an engagement, there's gifts that are transferred, uh, and then unfortunately there's an uh, an end of the engagement. So what happens in that case? Is it a gift that uh, was to be given uh, regardless of what happens, or was it on the condition that they actually get married? They didn't end up getting married. So obviously this case is uh, very different. This is a case where they already got married, but throughout the marriage there's there's gifts that are being given. Do we view it as though? Uh, this is a gift and it's a complete gift, or do we say that it's only on condi- it's only while they're still married? Now, it's important to note that uh, some of the commentators, many of the commentators point out that we're only discussing clothing here. This is limited to clothing. With regards to other gifts, no, those are complete gifts. That is something that she could keep. For some reason, I'm not sure why, uh, but for some reason, clothing is different. And when it comes to clothing, that has the possibility of being viewed as though that was just uh, given at, on loan, essentially, until uh, the end of the marriage. Um, there's a lot of a lot of nuances within within this topic. Are we talking about all clothing? Are we talking about specifically weekday clothing? Are we talking about fancier clothing, Shabbos clothing? Um, our our Gemara discusses an almana, a widow. What, would the same law apply if she was divorced? If they got divorced. That's also a big discussion. Why would why would you differentiate between the two? Um, but it's an important discussion. Rav Amar Shaman Masha Rav says that we act, in fact do. Uh, Take into account how much clothing she received and deduct that from the total 200. Shmuel Amr, and Shmuel Mashallah. Shmuel says that we don't. We don't deduct it. So Amr Rechia Baravin, Rechia Baravin says, Vichilufa Balakit. Rechia Baravin says, What about in the following case? What happens, also an interesting case, what happens if a person has a worker and they have, let's say, a uniform? They have certain clothing that they're supposed to wear while they're working. So is that viewed as uh, completely given to them, such to the point where if they're not working anymore, they could keep that clothing? Or are they supposed to return it? So Rechia Baravin says the two opinions flip when it comes to worker. It's not parallel. It's not. It's all. It's all based on uh, what's the stam das, what's the assumed uh, uh, intent when they gave this gift. And Rechia Baravin says that the opinions would flip when it comes to a worker. But Rav Kahana must need v'chein belaket. Umanach basimana yisma v'armalasa shel fapok. Rav Kahana says no. Everything's the same. Just like Rav says that it's not viewed as a gift. Well, forever when it comes to the wife and that uh, she should really have to return it, but she doesn't return it and therefore uh, the amount, the value is deducted from the total 200. So too, when it, by a worker, that would be the position of Robin Shmuel would say that no, it's a, viewed as a complete gift, not on any conditions, both when it comes to a marriage and when it comes to a worker, the worker could keep the clothing. Okay, so that would be that would be the dispute between Robin and Shmuel. Alma Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman then says, Af al-gav he says, even though the Mishnah supports Shmuel, the position of Shmuel, to say that it's a complete gift, but in the end of the day, we follow the position of Rav. And we're about to quote the, the Mishnah, which supports Shmuel, that it's a complete gift. The Gemara will eventually ask, uh, well, if the Mishnah is in support of Shmuel, why do we follow Rav? We have a, we have, it seems to be a pretty good proof to Shmuel. But what's this Mishnah? The Tanan. Let's say a person during their marriage, he's alive. During his marriage, he says that he he's designating, he's giving to the base of Mikdash all of his property. Well, what does that entail? What does it mean he's giving all of his property to the uh, to the base of Mikdash, to the temple? What does that include? What does that not include? Uh, so the the Mishnah says that it does not include his wife's clothing, it does not include his children's clothing, and it doesn't even include clothing that they have not yet received, but it's designated for them. As long as it's designated for them, um, and it's clothing, shoes, 
uh, whatever it is. So it's not viewed as his clothing. It's not included in the amount. When he says, I'm going to give it, let's say, either the amount of my property, I'll give my property, this is not included within it. This seems to support the position of Shmuel, that it's a complete gift. Sounds like it's a complete gift. Uh, so this seems to support Shmuel. So Amalei Rav Rav Nachman, Rav says to Rav Nachman, Mechim Yachar Denan, Masis and Kavasid Shmuel, Amai Hachos and Kavasid Rav. Yes, because Rav says to Rav Nachman, if the mission supports Shmuel, so then why is the law like Rav to say that it's not viewed as a complete gift, that it was on condition that as long as as long as we're married, now that they're no longer married, so then so then she could keep it, but she has to pay, um, not pay, but we did, we deduct it from the ksuba. Uh, so why do we follow the position of Rav? My t- so the Gemara answer is interesting point. Very important line. He says back that I didn't mean to say that the Mishnah follows is like Shmuel. I meant to say that if one looks at it at first glance quickly, if one quickly looks at the Mishnah, it sounds like Shmuel. But if you if you delve into the topic, then you'll see that it follows the position of Rav, which is a very important point. Uh, whenever we study Torah, uh, that at uh, first glance it seems to look one way. Uh, when we, we study it quickly, um, but it really requires much depth, much analysis to fully appreciate and understand it. And otherwise, we'll have a misunderstanding of of all the of the various laws that we're learning. So in the end day, why is this not like Shmuel? My taima. Essentially, for Rav, it is a gift, but it's referred to as like a gift lizman. A gift for a certain amount of time. So as long as they're married, it's like it's a gift to his wife. To the point where if he says while they're married that all my property I'm giving to the, to the base of Mikdash, to the temple, that would not be included. It's a gift that's given to his wife at that point in time. However, it's a gift for a certain amount of time. After that time passes, i.e. they're no longer married, so then it's no longer hers. So this mission is not against Rav. Rav would agree. While they're married, it's not viewed as his. It's viewed as hers. But uh, this clothing... Once, uh, once he dies, so then uh, halakhically we view it as though it's really just uh, given to her for only a certain amount of time. And we will deduct the value from, she could keep the clothing, but we'll deduct the value from the ksuba. Okay. The Gemara now has a few more lines. We have a little bit left until the end of the fourth chapter, the fourth parak. This is uh, really a big mazel tov. We're basically at the halfway point of ksubas as we conclude... Uh, this fourth chapter, this fourth parak, and in the next class we will begin the fifth parak, the fifth chapter, but let's first finish uh, this fourth uh, parak. Here we go. The daughter-in-law of the son of Al-Yashiv. She was in court uh, asking for the ksuba. She wanted her ksuba. So they pulled this following trick. They sort of forced her. When she got came to court, Amri how could you come to court like this? They basically told her, you're wearing uh, regular clothing. You have to put on more clothing. They basically wanted her to have more and more clothing because we follow the position of Rav to say that we're going to deduct it from the Ksuba. So, so she put on all of her clothing. How Somehow they were able to convince her to put on all of her clothing that she had. Basically, it was a way to trick her um, so that she would bring all of her clothing. She wouldn't be able to hide the clothing. Was that what they did was legal because she really should deduct it from all of her clothing. Just gets her out of having to having the ability to hide it. Um, so she she showed all of her clothing that she had, and they deducted the value from the ksuba that they had to give because really it doesn't belong to her. She could keep the clothing, but the value doesn't belong to her.
Okay, another story. Uh, there was a certain person who said to his uh, to his children in his will to give Nidunya Labras, to give a Nidunya dowry to his daughter. Um, to give a certain amount uh, to his daughter. What happens? Zal Nidunya. The value of the uh, of the Nidunya, of whatever it is that he wanted to give, um, went down in value. It depreciated in value. All those items. He said, give a certain, these different items uh, for, for, for when, I, when he passes away. And it should be given to his daughter. It went down in value. Amar Vidi Bar so the difference in price, she does not receive the value. She was receiving specific items. So she receives those items. If they went down in value, that's her loss. Ends up being her loss because um, he only wanted to give not the value, but the item themselves. Uh, and then similarly, we have the following case, the opposite case. We have a case where he said the following, sort of on his deathbed. Arba Meizuzi min Khamra. Lebrus. He wants to give not the not the uh, uh, not the the item, but wants to give the value of the item four hundred dinar of this wine, a certain amount four hundred dinar dollars of this wine should be given to my daughter Ikrachamra. But the, the wine goes up in value. Amar Yosmi. So in the end of the day, she only receives four hundred dollars because his intention was only about giving the value, not about giving the wine. He specifically said not a certain amount of wine, but a dollar price of the wine, which is four hundred dinar. 400 dinar, and therefore, she should only get the 400 dinar. The fact that the wine went up in price, so that is ends up being to the benefit of the of the children of the of the boys, of the sons. Okay, we have the following story. Another story. Karive, we're on Nundaladam Bay, 54b. A few more lines left till we finish the chapter. Karive, the Rabbi Elchanan Havaluhu Itas Abba, Dahava Kamaf Sedana Mizone, the relatives of Rabbi Elchanan. Had uh, were were concerned that their father, uh, they had their their father was uh, about to die, and they knew that the father's wife uh, ate a lot. Let's say she ate a lot, or she wasted the food. Different ways of explaining it, and they were concerned that if we have to provide sustenance, it's going to cost us a lot of money. So what did he do? Also, the commander Rabbi Yochanan, they asked Rabbi Yochanan, and he had the following advice: Before the father passes away, go tell your father that he should set aside a certain portion of the land for his sustenance. And if she agrees to this land, she agrees to accept this land as her sustenance, so therefore they no longer have a right to, they no longer have an obligation to pay her for sustenance. She has accepted this upon herself, that this, I will provide sustenance from this land alone. So basically he was trying to tell them a way where since she uh, eats above the normal amount, uh, so then this is a way to get out of it. Now it's interesting, one point is that uh, Rabbi Yochanan, earlier, we had this uh, earlier, a few weeks ago, uh, he also wanted to help out certain relatives, and in the end, he, he was upset that he ended up helping them. And over here, he's helping other relatives out. Uh, so Tosos asks this question, and he explains that uh, this case is different because it requires the, uh, the mother's approval. He wasn't just coming to trick the, to trick the mother, but the mother, uh, she, the wife, had to agree to this, had to agree to accept his land. Uh, and so it wasn't really based on his advice alone. She also... Had to agree to it. Okay. The story now continues. So this was the advice of Rebbe to give a piece of land. Also the command to Reish Lakish. The father died. Now they come to Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish says, no, this doesn't work. 
if you give the land, so now she has even more sustenance. You, the, the, the children have to provide sustenance, and she gets to keep the land. I disagree with Rabbi Yochanan, which is interesting, because Rish Lakish is a student of Rabbi Yochanan. So, so they say back, but Rabbi Yochanan didn't say this. Right? You're arguing Rabbi Yochanan. He says the following lines to them. A student of Rabbi Yochanan. Go give her. Go give her what she needs. Give her more. And if you don't, I'll remove Rabbi Yochanan from your ears. Basically, you have to forget about Rabbi Yochanan. It's not true. So then they approach Rabbi Yochanan. They say, also they commit Rabbi Yochanan. They ask Rabbi Yochanan, uh, what's going on here? Rabbi Yochanan says, what could I do? I cannot impose my opinion. He's equal to me. You asked him, he's equal to me. You have to follow his opinion. You can't uh, then come back to me. You asked him his opinion. And so his opinion is of, uh, is, is of equal value. So in the end, they had to give her even more. They, they gave her the field and had to provide sustenance. The field wouldn't uh, be viewed as a trade-off to the sustenance. So Amr Rabbi Avo. Rabbi Avo then he said, um, the, uh, the issue was explained to me by Rabbi Yochanan. And it depends on the language that is used within the sale. Amar limizonos ribalamizonos. Amar bimizonos katzlamizonos. It's all one letter. It's a difference of one letter. If the father, when he gave this land to his wife right before he was about to die, said limizonos for mizonos for sustenance, it's to increase your sustenance. If he uses the language bimizonos in place of the sustenance, so then. It ends up being really in place of the sustenance, and then she would have to uh, receive sustenance purely from the field and not from anything else that is given over to the to the children. So it really depends on what the language is. Is it limizonos, which means more and more, or is it bimizonos to replace, to, sub, to substitute? Um, it all depends on the language that is uh, that is used. But we finish the the fourth parak, the fourth chapter, Hajan Allah Nara, and we're excited to begin in the next class the fifth parak, the fifth chapter of Ksubis.